Amen. Come on, say it like you mean it. Amen. Amen. Woo, glory to God. Hallelujah. You know, worship was uh, bittersweet to me today. You know, I was listening to some of the songs, and one of the songs I remember singing with Michael Curry 15, 20 years ago, a long time. But we're here now during this time. So I just need you to pray for me as I deliver a word. Father God, I ask you to come at this time, Father. And I thank you, Father God. I just lift you up this morning, Lord, make you the center of my life. I ask you to come this morning. Father, I praise you and I exalt you because I know you. And you know me and you've covered me and you've carried me this far. Father, I bless your name. I ask you to be with me today. I ask you to take over my mind, my will, my emotions. I ask you to set me on your path, Father. I ask that you be the center of my life. Father, I ask that you take my mind and just transform it to your mind. Let me speak words of clarity today. Father, let my heart be set on you and delivering your word. But Father, I also ask you to touch this congregation, to touch this people group, Father. I ask that you touch them and open up their hearts and their minds this morning to receive you and the new word that you have. We cast away the, the, the old things. We cast it away, but we cast it away with honor and respect. Father, we remember you and we remember what you've done in this building. And we honor those leaders of the past that have been here, that have fought, that have prayed. We honor the supernatural things that have occurred here, the healings, the restoration, the teachings, the words, the grace that you've had over this place. But Father, today we thank you for freedom. We thank you for freedom. We are excited to live in a country such as this. And it also coincides with Veterans Day. We thank you, Father, for sending veterans, men who have heard a word and believed in freedom and stood up and fought and battled and put their lives on the line for us. Well, Father, you're asking us to even do the same thing. So, Father, I ask that you be with us today. Be with me today. In the name of Jesus, we declare it, we receive it, and we say amen. When pastor asked me to speak, he says, I have given this group the apostolic vision of, of who we are and where we're going. But he says, I need you to bring that prophetic flair that you and Inez have to the church so that they can see how they interact with each other. And the Lord gave me a word, but it came from a scripture that actually had already been spoken here for several weeks. But the Lord wouldn't let that thing go. He said, look again. He says, I'm going to take you back to some of these scriptures and some of the things that you have heard because he says, you've got to hear it in clarity. He said, you've got to release these things to know where I am going. So I thank the Father for doing what he's done. I, th I thank him for being with me because even listening to the songs, I had tears coming out of my eyes because it is bittersweet. But I'm excited, and I bring a word of encouragement today to you. You know, I, I desire to see smiles on your face as you are prepared and ready to go into the new thing. It's almost like going to a new school. Lord, what do you have? I'm excited and I'm ready because it's going to be bigger and it's going to be better. God's going to walk into it. He's already set these things before us. You know, I was just thinking, I was like, we have a vision and we have spirit-filled folks here. And we have a spirit-filled leader. 
who has now given us and has laid his vision before us. And now he has said it's time to go. Well, it's time for us to get ready. You know, if you go to a baseball game, they have two teams that oppose each other. There are nine members on each team. And they show up and they practice hard. But, you know, without the baseball, we don't have a game. So you can have the plan, but if you don't have the players, you don't have the game. If you don't have the parts that you have, you don't have a game. You can show up and still not be prepared if you're not ready during the right time. So I'm going to take us back to Joshua chapter 3. And the title is, You Made a Way. Joshua chapter 3. Joshua rose early in the morning, and they moved from Shittim and came to Jordan. And he and all the Israelites had lodged there before passing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, commanding the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God being born by the Levitical priests, set out from where you are and follow it. Yet a pace must be kept between you and it. About... 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near it that you may be able to speak, see the ark, and now the way must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for this is a holy special purpose, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they looked it up and went on before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to magnify you in the sight of all Israel so that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I am with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come near, hear the words of the Lord our God. Joshua said, Hereby you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will surely drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gershonites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into Jordan. So, now take 12 men from the tribe of Israel, one on each side. When the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in Jordan, the waters of the Jordan coming down from above shall be cut off, and they shall stand in one heap. So when the Lord set out from their tents, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and when those who bore the ark had come to Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were in the brink of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout this time of harvest. When the waters which came down from above and stood and rose up in a heap off at Adam, the city that is beside Zatharan, and those flowing down towards the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea, known as the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. And while all Israel passed over on dry, grant, dry ground, 
the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan until all the nation had finished passing by the Jordan. Amen to the reading of his word. Now, our history, we realize that God has always wanted to have communion with us. From the beginning of time, that was what he has always wanted because he loved us so much. And because of sin, basically that got dwarfed for a period. And the Lord attempted to make restoration. And he decided to make restoration for that. And during the whole course of the word of God, we begin to see how he wants to restore his word so that he can have relationship with you and me. Say me. Now, we watch how there's a journey that leads as they begin to grow in great, great numbers. And they end up running into an area called Egypt where they become captive by some other folk. And they stay there for a period of time. And there's one man who has been given a promise. And it's the promise that he had given Abraham that, first of all, there would be a land that would be promised to him and all of his people. The second thing that he said is that there would be a seed. And they didn't even understand what it all meant, but there would be a seed. So now we're in Egypt. We've been in captivity. And one man hears a word. His name is Moses. And Moses hears a word that says, it's time for freedom. Let my people go. And they are released. And they come to, and, and everybody knows the story. They come to the Red Sea, and the waters open up, and they cross over, and everybody shouts, hallelujah, we're headed to Canaan land. We're headed to this land that we have been promised. But whatever the reasons are, murmuring, complaining, disobedience, they end up walking around in a place that could have taken about three weeks to get to, walking around in the desert for about 40 years, several generations. Mm. Lord have mercy. Let that not be us. Moses is told at one point because of some disobedience in his own attitude even, where he strikes a rock instead of speaking to the rock. Well, he just did what he had done before, and out of anger he did what he had done before. Well, we're not doing things like before. But he did what he had done before, and for that reason, some say, some of the scholars say, he was not released to step into the promised land. They had also sent out some spies. They sent out several spies who went over to this land and kind of looked at it and spied out the land. And most of them came back with a very, very negative report. There's some big folks over there. There's lots of them. We cannot take this land. We won't get there. We're not going to make it. And they stayed. But now it's a new day. It's our last day here on a Sunday. It's a new day. You know, before I said we had a spirit-filled leader. Well, Joshua was a spirit-filled leader. He was filled with the word from God. He had people that were willing to go forth. Joshua was surrounded by leaders and people who said, look, we know you've heard from God and we're ready to go. And essentially they encamped themselves for three days. And I, I tried to imagine what this looks like. When I started reading the scriptures, I have to have them come alive to say, if I was there, what would I look like? What would I be doing? And I could imagine while they're banked by the side of the shores, they're kind of standing out there and they're like, oh boy, this, 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 second, this second body of water 
It, it, sure, it sure is big. <laughs> the, the waters are, are teeming. They're, they're running back and forth. And I can imagine, you know, the first day you kind of look at it. The second day you kind of walk out there and maybe even put your toe out there a little bit just to kind of test to see how deep it is. You might even put your foot in there and say, ooh, that gets kind of deep. And the expectation is, well, God's going to do like he did the Red Sea. He's going to open up this river of Jordan, and we'll be able to cross. But that's not what he says, and that's not what he does. But the challenge here is what we call the impossible. Looks like we can't pass this thing by ourselves. It's not, it's not passable, so it's impassable. We don't have any boats. I don't have a life vest. I don't have anything that's going to help me get there. A lot of times God will bring us to a Jordan River in our lives and he will carry us across it because he's wanting to teach us something. Because if we could do it ourselves, we would take the credit for it. Mother and I were talking the other day and she says, I've just watched in churches over the years that when people kind of call on God and they're going through a struggle, when God answers that thing, we tend to go out in front of God now and I got this, Lord. You can just sit back down to the next time I need you. And we leave him kind of hanging on the side where we praise him before the victory. We praise him during the victory. We praise him after the victory. And we almost forget to do that. And we put him on the side. So we've got the impossible challenge. We have some challenges in our lives, don't we? You know, there used to be an old song they used to sing in the church, too. If the Lord hadn't been on my side, where would I be? Where would I be? You know, let me just step back. I'm, I'm going to just sow some seeds just before we get started back into this scripture. The power of God and the people of God must be on the same page. We have to be on the same page. There is power when we work on the same page. So if there's division amongst us, we have to deal with that thing before we go out of this place. And I'm reminded of a story that even Jesus Christ uh, participated in. He was speaking at a place. And some guys came and they wanted to get in and there was a paralyzed guy that they wanted to get in. And they got there and the place was full. So they climbed around the side, went up some stairs, dug a hole through the roof and lowered him down through the roof. You know, it's, it's interesting though because I've read that scripture 15 or 20 different times. It's in Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. And the paralytic guys lowered down before Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't say, I saw the paralytic's faith. He says, I saw their faith. He saw the men that brought him. They joined in faith, and they had an expectancy. And what did God do? God first cleanses the man of sin. See, the healing was the easy issue. A lot of times you think you're coming for the easy issue, and God does something else. So God cleansed them of sin first, and now heals him. My question to you today, church, is are you in a cart are you pushing the cart? Because everybody says, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And even though it's even hard for me who's been here 20 years, and some of you have been here longer than that, the question is, is are we just going for the ride? Are we ready to get out and to push? Push doesn't necessarily mean labor, but it could mean prayer. It could be mean service. It could mean standing up, giving a word. It could be standing in your gift because you've all got gifts. Are you going to sit in the cart and ride? Are you going to stand up and say, let me work today. Let me push. Let me get in the cart. What is your Jordan River? Take out your pen and write down on your note what your Jordan River is. You have to write that thing down 
because it'll confirm to you and to your spirit what your issue is. I'm not going to connect this thing. And some of you are sitting there with your arms folded. You say, I ain't going to write nothing. This is for you. This is, this is not for me. Write down what your Jordan is. Is your Jordan, is it going to be a financial issue? Is it a family issue? Is it a job issue? Is it a frustration issue? That's what God wants to see if you even know what it is because he's got an answer for it already. Let me tell you something today, church. Has your Jordan River, has your problem become bigger than God's? Well, that thing that you're looking at that you just wrote, he's got an answer to that problem. I don't have the answer. Pastor Lawrence doesn't have the answer. But God's got the answer to that problem. You know, one of the things that God has just been showing me for probably this last several years, and I heard somebody give this same illustration the other day, you know, when Jesus chose his apostles, his disciples to come with him, he walked out, saw some guys fishing. And he said, hey, looky here. Now, one of the things that these guys could have said, well, you know, we've got a fishing pole. Yeah, you going fishing? I use a fishing pole and kind of do. But they didn't have fishing poles. I found that interesting. What did they have? They had nets. With a fishing pole, I can catch them one at a time. But with a net, I can catch a lot at the right time. Say the right time. Because you can have all the gifting in the world, but if you're not listening to what God is saying, you can go out and be in the wrong spot at the wrong time and you won't catch anything. One of the things that's interesting, too, as I look at you, I see you guys representing the points on a net. A lot of times in churches, what we thought was that we'll go out, we'll meet them, we'll tell them how great our church is, we'll bring them into the church, and pastor will take the hook off, clean them, and get them saved. That job now becomes yours because your points on part of that net. When we begin to stretch out, we go out in everything that we do and we participate as a community of believers, rather than catching them one at a time, we can catch hundreds at a time. One of the things that I also see with that is that the disciples, when he said, if you want to do that, follow me. They dropped their nets, and the word says they followed him. But I believe that they caught a bounty on that day. They caught so much that the, that the nets tore. I believe that the finances from that supported their family because you don't hear of them bringing their families, their children. They, 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 Jesus said, come, here I go. But what happened to the family? I believe that they were supported by what that bounty was. You know, God also provides, but he doesn't take credit for every single provision that he does. But we need to give him credit for his glory. So anyway, we're back at Joshua 4. Joshua 3. Somebody wasn't going to tell me. Joshua 3. We see the Jordan River. River's pretty wide. In fact, it says it's overflowing. It's harvest time. And those months, they equate to being March and April, but we actually have switched calendars. We use a different calendar. But the banks are overflowing. In fact, if you look at the banks, the banks come up on both sides. And one of the things that I realized from science is that what has happened there is that there's been some kind of a fault in the earth's crust where these mountains were pushed up out of the ground on both sides to some 1,200 to 1,700 feet above sea level. It's pretty high. That's, it holds a lot of water. So 
one of my questions would be, if, you know, and folks that go to Israel now, they come back and they said that there are actually areas of the Jordan River that you can almost walk across. I haven't been there, but I could see that. They said that some of the lands have changed since those times because of erosion of two to 3,000 years has, has caused just a lot of sediment and has filled in some of these areas. But I'm trying to imagine the uh, a distance of a river possibly a mile long, 1,700 feet deep, and now I've got some people with me, and we're coming standing at the base of this thing, and God says go, and he's now given instructions. Now, we have a comfort level that we're going to have to let go of. Moses, when we go back to that, he went out to the sea and said, okay, God gives him a command, put out the rod, stick it out, and then we'll see the waters part. So they're expecting that that could be something. A lot of times that we've seen God do things, God may be doing a different thing. Well, Joshua comes and gives a different set of instructions. The priests are instructed to step into running, raging, cold water. And then it says, then the tribal leaders, and then two and a half tribes, and the people of Israel. They actively had to go ahead just in faith. Well, what's faith? Faith is your persuasion. I put down a couple of sentences. Faith is obeying in spite of the consequences. When it don't look like it's something that I can do, it's doing it anyway. It's doing it when I don't feel good. It's doing it when other folks don't want to go. And that's what our encouragement is today is to say, we're going to actively move. Now, on the other side, he's got some people that have been sitting here. They've watched the cold waters run. They're saying, okay, we're waiting for this thing to open up. But we also understand on their side, there are seven nations occupying the land that they want to go through. And some of them are giants. And they know we're coming. That's interesting because they know we're coming and they're actually afraid. But we don't know that they're afraid. Hmm. Your enemy doesn't know that you may be afraid, but your enemy is afraid of you. The devil is afraid when you wake up in the morning. When you put your foot on the ground, he's like, uh-oh. Do you know who you are? Do you know the treasures that you carry? Do you know the gifts that you carry inside? Oh, Father, just give them just a whisper of what that looks like. And they know that we're coming. You know, and if you step back even into the, 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 the book before chapter 3 and chapter 2, you'll see that Joshua had actually sent out a couple of spies. He said, hey, go check it out. And these guys, they cross over the river and come to the area, and there's a wall, and they count the wall, and they meet a woman named Rahab, and she tells them what they need to do. She also tells them how to escape because, see, she has a house or residence that's in the wall, hidden in the wall, and she says, you'll climb down out of the side of this thing, and after you guys now go back and give that report because I want favor with you and your God because I've even heard, and they're really scared, so guess what? I want to make a deal where y'all come and get me if there's going to be something going on. So she kind of basically instructs them, protects them, hides them from the guards that are looking for them, then tells them, hey, go down to, to go down the side of the wall and then go hide for three days and then come back. After they come back, they'll be gone and then you guys can leave and then you'll be safe. I find that it's fascinating because we also get the espionage, there's spies, there's all this nice stuff that's going on. We don't even have to go to movies if you just read the word of God and let that stuff, wow, man, this is cool. So anyway, so they know we're coming. And they've attempted to actually go back and to, to, to find out where they were and destroy them before they get there, but they've been unsuccessful. Anyway, if we step back, when we talk about faith, Abraham also believed in God. If we step back, 
you know, and he, because of that motivation, that relationship, he was motivated to do what God said, even to leave Egypt. You know, even to, even, um, I'm talking about Moses leaving Egypt. He was also motivated. You know, faith without works is dead. Action and response are very, very important. You can't just sit there and just be the same old person that you used to be. So, verse number 3 of chapter 3 says that he got up early in the morning. Guess what? That's the best part of the day. I like to get up early in the morning. My brother Casey in the back, he likes to get up early in the morning. That's when everything is crisp and clean and it's clear. You don't have any other thoughts going through your mind. No, the Lord woke me up at 4.30 this morning to pray for this service and to pray for you. You know, my heart was, was weary because I said, this is, this is going to be a hard thing for some folks. If you are new here, this is, this, is, this is good and it's exciting, but there are folks that also have some roots here that they have had to cut off those things to move forward. But so he got up early in the day. So I, I encourage you to make a habit of getting up early in the morning and spend time in your word before the kids get up, before life starts, before you work out, before you get ready to go out and start. Because once the day starts, it's like it kind of winds itself till you get home. But it's important to spend consistent time with God in his word. Now, next comment is about the Jordan River again. It's wider. There's more water. You know, when we talk about looking at it, I said, well, let me kind of look and see where, what, what, find some more things about the Jordan River. And I saw that it starts in Roman territory. Uh, it, start, it starts in Philippi, Roman territory, Caesarean Philippi, um, which is north. It's 156 miles long, and it has at least four rivers that they say go into it. One is called the Dan River, one is the Banius, one is the Hasbani, and the other is the Barite. And they're all above sea level. So what you do is you see all these feeder rivers and streams now feeding into this thing 1,700 feet high. And when rainy season comes, when, when snow melts and all this stuff, precipitation comes down, it comes down into one focal point, and then you get this raging river at the bottom. But we also speak and see that along the Jordan River, north of, of where they're getting ready to cross, is the Sea of Galilee. And it's a small lake. And we also see something called the Waters of Miriam, which you read about in Joshua 11. And the Hula Valley, which is an area of drainage. And at the bottom of it, the southmost point of the Jordan River, we see the Dead Sea, which is 30% salt, saline. In fact, you can go out there and you can lay in it. And a lot of people actually use it as a site to go for healing and to, to look at and stuff. I also find that it's interesting when you look at the history of these areas, they quote the scriptures because the scriptures were very, very detailed with where a lot of these places were, more so than the historians at that time. I guess you didn't have, you know, archaeologists and geologists and things like that that looked at these formations. But a lot of times to figure out what's going on in these areas and how the grounds have changed, they actually go back to the word of God to find out what the truth is. Hmm. I find it interesting. The second thing is they were also told about the Ark of the Covenant. I want to talk to you about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is the place where God would meet them. That's where you met God. In fact, there's one scholar that says that the Ark was such an intimate symbol of God's indwelling 
that to speak of the ark is tantamount to speaking to the Lord. To them, the ark was God himself. Wow. A lot of times when we talked about how the original areas were set up, we had the outer court, the inner court, and then the holy place. And inside the holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. Well, we looked at the outside of the area, the outer court, 75 by 100 in feet. It had an altar of sacrifice. and also had a basin. There was a tent that measured 15 by 45 feet. And the holy place measured 15 by 30. It had a golden candlestick, a table of showbread, and 12 loaves. 12 I also found was interesting too. I'll, I'll, I'll mention 12 again later. I also found that three was interesting too because three is mentioned. It said wait by those waters three days. And also when uh, the spies were seeking out the land, they actually went and hid in the woods for three days. And Jesus was in a tomb for three days. I said, what's the importance of three? I don't know yet, but I just find that it's interesting. But I also noted that 12 was showing up. And 12 shows up in our culture a lot. I'll just tell you. A dozen eggs. How many months in a year? Wow, 12 is there. Well, why didn't they choose 10? For some reason, 12, oh, well, how many disciples were there? Hmm, well, 12 shows up an awful lot. Don't know, just something of interest. Anyway, we get back to the holy place. 12 loaves, and then there's incense. And the high priest entered this area that measured 15 by 15 once a year. And he was the high priest. Not just any old priest had the authority to do that. So once a year, on their day of atonement, he would walk in and meet with God face to face. And he'd walk in and he'd be carrying some blood with him. And he would sprinkle this blood on the seat of judgment. And if you also read about it, that high priest would also have a, a, a rope tied around his waist where they'd kind of let him go in. And if it wasn't good, they could pull him out real quick. He also had bells on him, so if you had to shake him, if there was a cloud, if something was going on, you'd hear him jingle and shake, and you'd snatch him out as soon as you could. I mean, to be in the presence of God was a very, very important thing. And, you know, amongst the Jews, it's still celebrated. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, describing the Ark of the Covenant doesn't sound like much. And when I kind of heard the description, it sounded like it was a trunk. Basically, it was a box, of, a box made out of acacia wood on top. You had the two statues of cherub, cherubs on top, and they leaned forward with wings touching each other. But when you opened this, this, this chest up, it had the law, two tablets. It had Aaron's rod and a pot of manna. And this was the place where I will meet you, is what the Lord says. That's what it means, the place where I will meet you. And upon sprinkling the blood on the, on the lid of it, of the uh, judgment seat, it became the mercy seat. A substitute is needed. You know, and when we start thinking about it, we think a substitute is needed to cover, to atone, to satisfy, to remove, to cleanse. And in our case, it brings us to the spotless lamb. This is a picture of Jesus. But he does it once and for all. Fellowship is now restored when Jesus comes. And we are now the Ark of the Covenant ourselves. His presence is in us, so we don't have to do this anymore. His presence is in us. Now, there's a word that keeps coming up, too, propitiation, which is a word used by the Romans. It's used in 1 John, and it's used in Romans. The Greek word is hilasterion, 
which means to cleanse, remove, and my best way to understand it was to satisfy. It made it good enough so that you get in the place without getting whacked and, and to deal with that situation. And in the case of the mercy seat, it was temporary. You had to keep doing it. We don't have to keep doing it anymore. It was done when that cross, that blood came down for you and for me. It was done. Some places they say it was did. Class, somebody laugh. But, you know, they also had some instructions. <laughs> somebody got it. <laughs> Um, chapter 3, verse 4 says, keep a distance of 2,000 cubits. That's about 3,000 feet. For some folks, that's about a half mile. So it's, God says, I'm going before you, but don't get too close. Stay about a half mile behind me and let me go first. And it was kind of interesting that how the Levitical priests were the ones that walked carrying the ark. And the expectation was is that you had to put your feet into the water for things to change. But one of the things that I want to say is that when we come to God, I know him as my father, I know him as my friend, I know him as the lover of my soul. I have many, many names for him. But it's careful not to get too chummy with him. And this is the God of all creation who created the heavens, who spoke stuff. Seven days to build everything that we see and everything that we can touch. And sometimes we just want to just call him, hey God, hey, what's up man? It's just a big G, you know. Don't get too chummy because it becomes, I think it becomes disrespectful. I think God is to be respected, he's to be revered. And the word that they also use translates to what we call fear. Not in terms of the, aha, fear. It's the respect in, of the awesome God that he is. So walk to him with that kind of respect when you, when you, in your prayers and everything that you do. Now in verse 5, the next command that we have, it says, sanctify yourself today. Sanctify yourself. It's a command. You're taking notes right now that it's a command. He didn't, he didn't, say, he didn't suggest it. He, did, he didn't say, he said, do it. It's a command. Sanctify yourself, which means to wash yourself. Change your clothes. Also, I think that this is something that we have to carry through mentally and spiritually too. So the outside appearance, wash, cleanse, get my mind right. Don't be distracted. Let stuff go. Let the junk go. I find it that, that it's interesting that we'll carry a lot of stuff with us. But one of the things I also want to throw, and it's, it's just something out there too, it also says to steward your sexuality. Don't live in sin. And the scripture for that is Exodus 19, 14, and 15, where he uses the same word. Now, if this is a command, it means starting afresh. For tomorrow, God will do wonders. Now, Next thing that I want to point out is that Levi is the brother of Moses. Levi has three sons, Numbers 3.3, three, if you need a reference. Each will have different temple jobs. In fact, somebody look up uh, Numbers 3.3 three and 3.4. And three, And I'm, I'm going to keep this as, as short as I can, but I, but I want you to know that these things are actually hidden in there. And like I said, I've looked at these scriptures before, and some of the things just didn't click. But there's one son named Gershon who carried the tents, the curtains, and the screens. And then there's a second son, Merari, who set up the poles, the sockets, and the hooks. And then there's a third son, Gohath. He worked with the, the high priest, and he set up the altars, the showbread, and the ark itself. 
Just find it interesting to find out all your little pearls are there if you'll dig deeper into your word. So just note that that's there. I'm going to go on. Going back to Joshua 3, verse 7 says, Get your feet wet. Get your feet wet. And I can imagine people kind of looking and says, before he just opened up everything and we walked out through the ocean. Now he's saying he wants us to get our feet wet. Hey, Josh, couldn't you have opened the water first? Well, sometimes God is going to re require you to do things at a different level. The familiarity that you had with him in the past is now getting deeper. And he says, I'm going to give you a different level of trust than I did before. So I'm not going to make it quite as easy. Even in raising our children are things that we would look for when they were three and four years old. Look out for that. We had gates and things on little latch locks and everything. But now that they're older, I don't need a gate for my 11-year-old son. Well, sometimes I feel like I need a gate, but that's a different story. <laughs> he's 11. <laughs> Make sure he's not here. <laughs> but um, I remember before I came to this church almost 20 years ago, um, I was at a job in Wisconsin. I was single. I started, I was the, the second in command over a, a department, had been brought in, and I worked there for two years, and everything was fine. And I was in a, a big church. Everything seemed to be going well. And God spoke to me one time in a dream, and he said, it's time to go. I was like, oh, well, God, church is good. Job is good. Life is good. I said, why, why I got to go? He said, it's time to go. And I began to battle with him. Lasted for about two weeks. And on a nightly basis at two something in the morning, I'd wake up and he'd begin to speak to me and say that it was time to go. And I would sit there and I'd fuss with him to five and then go back to sleep and then get up and go to work. And it was at the end of three weeks that he shows me a dream. And it was a dream of me driving in Wisconsin while living in Madison, Wisconsin. And he showed me I had a car accident. I slid on the road at six something in the morning going to work. The car crashed and I died. And he said, this will be the price for your disobedience. He says, I am doing something and I need you to move now. And I got up and I wrote out letters and said that I was resigning from my job being number two because I had said I want to be number one, but no, two is good, you know. <laughs> And uh, I wrote out a letter and uh, actually made three copies because I knew that everybody would need to have them. And um, I walked in that morning and met with my partner and met with the uh, CEO and the director of a, a clinic that I was working for. And I told him, I said, guess what, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. And they said, why? And I said, the Lord told me. <laughs> And, you know, I was almost embarrassed to say that it was even the Lord because I said, they're just not going to understand. The Lord told me, and I said, uh, oh, okay. And they said, well, give us some time. I said, no, no. I said, I, I've got to do this thing that God wants me to do something. Well, are you looking for a different job? No. Um, did you need more money? Well, I could, but that's not what God really told me to, to do this. Has somebody offended you? Did, was there an issue? Uh, no, no, no. God just said go. And... We sat down for about 30 minutes and talked. When I got finished, they said, okay. And I said, I'm going to give you guys 60 days, and in 60 days I'll be gone. I'll help you to recruit someone else. Sorry about all of this, but it's, it's time to go. And they said, where are you going? I said, I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> I said, 
I don't know. Thank you, Lord. And uh, I got ready to leave, and they kind of said, well, go think about it. And, and, and my director of the clinic, he says, you know, if you're going to actually do this thing, he says, I'll need to have it in writing. And I remember reaching out in my pocket, pulling out three letters and giving one to the partner, one to the director, and one to the CEO. And I turned out. And I remember walking outside in the lobby saying, I've just quit my job, and I don't know where I'm going or what I'm going to do. And God, I really need to hear from you. And he says, you have. He said, send out your resume. And every week, you know, I continued to work, and I said, I'm going to work on point, doing what I was doing before, no less, uh, just 100% of what it was supposed to, to be. And about four or five days, I started getting calls. Doors just started opening up. You know, we'll have you come here. We want you to come to Kentucky. We want you to come here. We want you to, and we're going to pay you more money, and we'll do this, and we'll do that, and you'll be able to do this. And, you know, you almost want to hyperventilate because you're, 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 you're kind of stuck. You're like, I don't know anybody. I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody that even speak to, spoken to my life because I, you know, my church, my pastor was like, oh, you're good here. Don't, don't you know, you shouldn't. That's there. And I said, am I going against what God is doing? But it wasn't until I handed those three letters that God began to open the doors. He said, put your foot in the water and commit the whole thing. The whole thing. Now, in a, see, I'm leaning with one foot, but committing the whole thing actually means putting both feet in the water. Both feet in the water, not one foot, not one toe. Your whole body has to step into the plan of what God has for your life. Uh-oh. Talk about that being scary. But he made a way. When you have the commitment to faith, that's when we saw the waters part. When I committed to the fact that I said, I am gone and not coming back, that was when the opportunities came, not before. Verse 9, Jesus proclaims, the living God is among you. 2.5 million people crossed that water. Now, one of the things that, that Joshua said is, the living God is among you. That means that they had other gods that were out there. But if you go to Psalms, and I'm not, don't go there, you can write it down, Psalms 115, we talk about the other gods. They're called idols. They're made out of silver and they're made out of gold. And the word says they have mouths that don't speak and eyes that don't see and ears that don't, and, and hands that don't feel and legs that don't walk because they were these little statues that had no inkling to what our God was, who was alive, who could speak, who could walk in power, and they had heard of this other God. Now in Genesis 31, we, 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 we hear of a lady named Rachel. And Rachel actually stole her daddy's gods and hid them. And he kind of rebukes her for that. You stole my gods! She had the little statues, and I think they were moving, and she wrapped them up in little blankets and packed them away. Our God is not the kind of God that you're going to pack away. So you can learn about Rachel in Genesis 31. You know, I've also read some of the books where it talks about how people tried to describe the waters going up. And some of the things that they've said were that, well, it was probably this earthquake that occurred because they've actually recorded some. Um, in the 1200s, there was one that occurred along the same Jordan River just north, and it lasted about 10 hours. Oh, okay. And in 1927, something similar happened where there was some shaking of the tectonic plates 
and some movement which caused some problem and rocks fell down and it stopped the flow of the Jordan River for 21 hours. But when you think about it from a practical standpoint, God predicts it to the T. Go stand here during this time and within seconds of them doing what he said do, a miracle occurs. We don't find that. He didn't have a stopwatch and said, okay, this is what it's going to take. The other things too is that when we talk about, it's not spring, it's flood season. We talk about the water is overflowing. It also talks about the fact that the water stood up in a heap. So you'd see the Ark of the Covenant standing here and where they stood, and you got 2.5 million people passing over to Jordan while the Ark of the Covenant is down here with the six ministers of God, and the water just stands straight up in a heap where they're standing. Another thing that I found interesting, too, is that at least three times it says when they stepped out, they stepped onto dry land. It wasn't wet. It wasn't a little trickle that was coming. It wasn't muddy. It was dry land. See, God doesn't make any mistakes when, when he begins to move. It's also interesting that in this same area, 1,500 years later, John the Baptist would baptize there. Wow. Chapter 4 says, take 12 men. Each one of them will carry a stone. They carried it eight miles to a place where they would encamp. It was called Gigal. And they would set up a memorial. It's interesting that we have Memorial Day, but this will be Veterans Day. But we also think and we remember and we are cognizant of what our veterans have done. But look at what God did. They camped there. The 12 stones were placed. And if you'll read on, you'll see that the men that came over, they circumcised. They got circumcised because it hadn't occurred in generations. They celebrated the Passover. They used it as a base camp. It was the place of new beginnings. It's the place where King Saul was crowned. It's the place where David received his kingdom back. It's a place where Samuel the prophet would preach and in this region for a period of time would come back and forth through these areas. So he's, what's also interesting is that now we're in chapter 4, verse 9. And this is something that I had not seen before. I'd heard of the 12 stones of remembrance, and I've studied the 12 stones of remembrance. But there's one little verse that comes after that. Verse 9 says, Joshua sets up a second set of 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan. Said, but God didn't tell him to do that. God said, take those 12 stones and take them where you're going to camp. And he does that, but he also says, for myself, take another set of 12 stones, put them in the middle of that river. I said, well, what's that about? Because when the waters come back down, they will cover those stones. You won't even see them. But I think that it was Joshua's way of saying that the past is gone. It's buried. New Covenant, I love you. I appreciate you. I've grown up here. But those days are now gone. I honor the men, the pastors that I had. I honor Pastor Mike Hawes. I love Pastor Hawes. But those days are gone. And God says, now I'm carrying you on a new journey with a new leader. And you need to put those things behind. And I encourage you to embrace the vision that we have for going out and being what the New Testament church says. 
We are buried with him. We are buried with Christ. And that's in Romans. You know, 4.11 also talks about instructing the next generation. It says you have that, those stones of remembrance that you've set up there. That's to instruct the generation, next generation. It's important for us to teach the people behind us what the word says. So God actually has given me just 12 statements that I'm going to read to you briefly. I'm not sure what my time is. It's doing good. Okay, we, we've got 12 stones that he, I believe he gave me prophetically to speak to y'all over these scriptures because he says it's the same thing. He says it's a type and shadow of what I did then. I'm now doing now with my people that are spirit-filled, and I begin to send you out. Number one, God says to tell them that I've gone before them, and I have reestablished a relationship because I love you. Don't go without me. And then the first thing that hit me is that somebody that's thinking of going without him, he says, either you're thinking of going before him or you've been looking somewhere else and thinking about, well, I need to do this now because it makes you uncomfortable not knowing where you're going. But because of his love, he says, don't go. Don't go without me. So if you're here today, I believe that's for somebody. I've set those up just to kind of show you what, 12 stones. We don't know the size of the stones, but they picked up these stones and these men carried them on their backs for eight miles and put them in a place to make a monument that didn't look anything like that. But just to show you as a demonstration, I've just got 12 sheets of paper there. But I'm sure your eye has been on that when you're like, what's that over there for? Why do you throw trash over there? You know, so that's what that's there for to remind you. Number two says, be people of faith and of courage. You know, courage. What is courage? Courage is the gap between God's call and your capacity. God says, I'm going over here to do it. My capacity says, I can't go. I can't cross this river by myself. It takes courage to step into a raging river and walk across it to do the thing that God has called you to do. Mm. We have to be in unity. We have to have a servant heart. I'm going to encourage you to invest your time and your treasures as a gift to God as we walk into this new ministry. You know, we've talked about your giftings for a long time. Well, guess what? It's not going to be church as usual. Those days are over. Um, we talked about being able to volunteer, being able to volunteer, being able to serve, being able to love, to show the heart of Jesus, the heart of God through everything that we do. Invest your time. Volunteer to do things. A lot of times we have a tendency in church to want to put a price on every part of the ministry. And that's a problem. Just do it out of who you are. God is your reward. God is your reward. Number three. Follow a schedule. Get up early. You know, I said three days. But if you notice that Joshua, on that day, he got up early in the morning. So God may say, get up early today. Get up early tomorrow. Begin to do something. Follow the instructions that he's giving you. If he says, wait three days, that shows me that God is specific. Very, very specific. There's something, there's a reason why he wanted to read it. Why? I don't know. 
Why is 12 important? I don't know. Why was 3 important? Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Well, he uses 3. There, there are 3's that continue to pop up. And you'll begin to see some trends like that in some of your readings. Number 4. He provides an order of engagement. First, I want you priests to go. You go, you know. And in one of the writings that I saw, it said when the last priest put his foot in the water, the waters divide because everybody's feet had to be wet. There's an order of engagement. Number five, caution. Be careful with the holy things. Watch what you hear and see. And be slow to speak and be offended. See, my flesh jumps out. Somebody says something about my wife, my children, my church, my pastor, y'all. I'm the first one to, and he says, I've already got their back. You don't have to defend them. Just step back. But I've also got to be careful to what I listen to because somebody's going to call and say, what's going on at that church? Well, I don't know what pastor did. I don't know what the elders decided. I just don't, you know. And speak a word of encouragement. It's a new season. We're walking in freedom today. We're walking because God's got a plan and a destiny for us, and we're stepping into it. And we believed and we heard, and God began to move, and he says, I've set you free. You're no longer in debt. There's nothing that's going to bind you. You can go anywhere that you want to do. Use this community as, as the first place that you're going to take from my kingdom. Let revival start here. So be encouraged. Watch what you hear. Watch what you say. Be slow to speak. Don't be offended. In fact, if you're holding any offense at anybody that's part of this group or this church that's going, that thing needs to be solved. You need to let it go because it's, it's bringing poison into the new thing that we're doing. See, you're responsible because you've heard that now. You need to let that thing go. If you're offended at me for something that I've done, come tell me about it. I'll, I'll be the first one to say, hey, forgive me. That wasn't my intent. You may have misunderstood. But I don't want that thing to be on me, but I also don't want it to be on you. And if I don't know about it, it's probably going to be on you. And then you'll have to answer for that thing that you carry. Things of the past. There's a relationship with a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, another member, a former member. Because I, I, I meet church members that used to go here years ago, and I greet them with a hug and with love and tell them how good God is. That's all I can say to them. The pastor's gone. Number six, consecrate and sanctify yourself. Consecrate means to wash, purify, make clean, sanctify. Means to get clean, means to forgive, to release that thing. Number seven, God speaks to the head. Follow one head. That's why we have our team of elders that meets with our pastor. And it's shared amongst us, but we're a corporate head that is here, that hears. And we don't move unless the other one moves and begins to speak. We'll always keep that because it's always worked. It has always protected us having the group of wisdom coming together. Fear the Lord. Respect the Lord. Respect and stand behind God's anointed and don't curse them. Don't say that'll never work. Are we used to do that? Because what we do is we keep stepping back into Egypt, pulling a vision of the past and trying to bring that thing forth and make it work. And God says, I'm doing a new thing. Number eight, he is the only wise God. None other. He's living. He hears your cry. He has made a way. 
Now there's a song that says that he's made a way. When our backs were against the wall and it looked like it was over, he made a way. Number nine, remember what you did to get to where you are. Remember what he did for you to get there. You know, in, in, the, in the word he used a 12-stone memorial. And because of that, what we do is we celebrate our past. We, we encourage one another. We worship the Lord our God for what he has done because he's only done good things. It didn't feel good while I was going through some of the things, but he has done great things. Number 10, one love church, the vision that he has carried us to will be multicultural. It will be multi-ethnic. It will be multi-generational. It will be multi-class. It will be multi-gifted, all working as a machine together. Multi-generational. We're going to have young people serving as leaders. We're going to have older folks serving as leaders. We're going to have middle-aged folks. Every tribe and tongue has to be celebrated. I find that when we talk about the tribes that cross the river, they talk about the half-tribe of Manasseh. I said, the half-tribe, what happened to the other half? <laughs> Just saying. What it does, it tells me that it is somewhere I've missed it, but there was a discussion where some, uh, one half agreed to stay on this side and the other half agreed to stay on the other side or to stay back. And that's okay. But the other half was released and they still go with that same name. But it's going to be multi-generational. Number 11, Lord says, I'm doing a new thing to complete my promise. He says, get your feet wet. Get your feet wet. Number 12, men, train up your children. There's a memorial there, a memorial that has been set up in the things that God is doing that you will teach your children and your grandchildren about. He says, I'm restoring manhood and authority. He says, what I want when I do this thing, and let me step back. I'm going to close now. I'm going to tell you about the 13th Amendment. Does anybody know what the 13th Amendment is? My son studied it, and he probably knows more about it than I do. 13th Amendment abolished slavery. And what happened was when that was set forth in 1964 to 19, uh, not 19, 1864 to 1865, basically the gates were opened everywhere, and slaves were set free. But, you know, it was odd that there was a group of slaves that says, we don't want to go. Thanks, but no thanks. Because they were not well equipped to pursue their freedom. Wow. Guess what? Freedom comes with a price tag. And in their case, they said, we don't know where we're going to live. We don't know what we're going to eat. Who's going to take care of us? And there were some that agreed to stay on as slaves because that was all that they knew. For every promise that God has for you, there's a price tag. Every dream has a cost. Joshua was promised the land, a new life, riches, the inheritance. His price was the Jordan River. What's your dream? That thing that I asked you to write down before, look at that thing. Is it a job? not working now. I'd like to make more. I need to go back to school. Well, the, 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 the cost is that you have to now take time to go to school at night. You're going to have to save up. There's a career. You go to school at night, that means 
You have to begin to prepare and send out resumes for this new job, but you may have to work where you are for a season while you're doing other things. Don't just quit your job if the Lord hasn't told you to. Your marriage. Yeah, we've had these issues after 35 years of being married and the kids left and things just changed. Well, pull that thing back together. Lord, you did that thing, and there's a covenant that I have to be faithful to this woman that I love. I'm, I'm supposed to be her husband. I love my wife. I love you, Ines, and I'd never leave you because God gave you to me. Some will say, God called me to preach. And I say, well, where are you preaching at now? Well, I'm waiting for him to give me a title. Waiting for a title, that's not it. Maybe your motivation is wrong. We need to be wet-footed Christians, walking in wet-footed faith, ready to step into everything that God says that we can do. He says, I have these things, and he says, you will do these things and greater. There's no game unless you have the baseball and the bat. You can have all the players, but if they're not ready to engage, they're not set with their tools and their gifts, you can't have the game. One love needs you. Your Jordan, whatever that thing is, has prepared you to take the land. It has prepared you for battle. Because when they come on the other side, it's not, oh, we're here. Guess what? There's a wall. And there are seven tribes that are coming at you that are afraid, but they're coming at you with everything to destroy you. But your wet-footed faith says we've already won it. You know I serve a mighty God. So we're going into some strange waters. We're crossing over. And we're going to occupy the place that God has called us to. Stay together in unity. I'm going to ask you to stand. I believe that that was a prophetic word for this church. He's given us 12 tools out of that scripture that I've looked at and didn't see until he revealed them to me. And I'm revealing them to you. And I think that that's the heart of where we're supposed to be right now. So I, I ask you to celebrate. I want to see smiles on your face. I ask you to rejoice as we get ready to go. I ask you to stand brave and stand tall as we go. It's okay to get your feet wet because he's got you. In every situation, he says, I've got you. Earl, he says, I've got you. Mars, he says, I've got your situation. Brother Curry, I've got your situation. I've got it. I've got you. I've got you. Brother Smith, I've got you. I've got you. So, Father God, we just thank you for today. I thank you for an opportunity to rejoice as the last sermon of New Covenant Church Sunday. And we rejoice as we go out, excited about what you've called us to be. So, Lord, we just give you praise and we give you honor. But I also say that these altars are open right now. If there is any hesitancy in your spirit, I don't have your answer, but he does. Come to the altars. The altars are open. In fact, I'm going to ask you to all come up just now and just stand in unity and just pray. Come now. We're not going to stay long. But there's something about the circle that brings us together. Something about the circle, where every point on the circle, as we stand around and 
even hold hands, just reach out and make connections and make the net that we've been called to be, where we impact each other. Look at the person to the left. Look at the person to the right. Tell them, you can lean on me. You can lean on me. I'll be there. We stand as family today before an awesome Lord. And we take off anything that would keep us from your kingdom and from that destiny. I ask you to bless these people. To bless their hearts. Bless their finances. Father, I thank you for carrying us through life to this place. And we stand looking at the river, assured that we can cross it. Assured that there's structure, that there's order, and that we've taken off anything that would keep us from going there. And we stand in love, ready to help, ready to serve, ready to love, in unity, every joint supplying. We submit our gifts to you today, Lord. We ask you to teach us about our gifts. We don't know what the gifts are. We ask you to teach us who our gifts are and, and let pastor and leadership of this church now come forth and help us to, to, to train those gifts so that we can use them. Because there's a place for everybody here this day. Lord, I thank you for your word because your word is true. And we just give you praise. We give you praise. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. If you're here today and you're still holding on to stuff, Inez and I will be at the front to pray for you. I'll invite any of the elders if you have a word, a word of encouragement. If you heard something during these words and you've got it, don't hold back. If you're a member of this church and you're spirit-filled, God has brought you comfort today and he's shown you something and you have a word to say don't hold back so Father we honor you if you need to stay at these altars if you need to stay on your knees stay here for those that are leaving Father I ask that you cover them with protection during this time. Cover their ears, cover their eyes from anything that would cause harm and distract them. And let's keep their eyes focused on the plan, on your process. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us this far. We thank you for provision. We lift your name up. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. We exalt you. We magnify your name. In the name of Jesus, we declare and we say, amen. share um, this that last week uh, the pastor challenged us through the Holy Spirit he says who do you say you are that was said last week who do we say we are so we say okay we're Christians that's not who we are labels do not make us what we are what we do 
What we do as Christians is what makes us Christians. And so I found this little um, thing about the love chapter in uh, Corinthians. We are going to be one city love. So what is love? So we go to the scriptures in um, Corinthians 13. So I have this. It says, what is love? How to love? So it says, love is patient. Be willing to wait for God's perfect timing. Have self-restraint. Control your impulses. What is love? Love is kind. Ask what would this person like? What does she need? Speak softly and be caring. What is love? It does not envy. Be content with what you have. List your blessings. Be happy for others' good. What is love? It does not boast. Be humble. Don't brag. Give credit to others. What is love? It's not rude. Be courteous. Be kind. Be gracious. Use good manners. What is love? It's not self-seeking. Think of others. Give someone else first choice. Don't be greedy and selfish. What is love? It's not easily angered. Think of the best of people. Don't jump to conclusions. Ask questions and listen. What is love? It keeps no records of wrongs. Forgive the wrongs. Remember the rights. What did Jesus do? What is love? It does not delight in evil. Don't watch or read evil things. Turn away from gossip. Don't gloat when others fall. What is love? It rejoices with the truth. Be happy about good things. Spread good news. Tell the truth to yourselves and others. What is love? Always protect. Protect the helpless and weak. Protect yourselves against temptation. Defend the name of Jesus. What is love? It always trusts. Trust is believing God's promises. Pray about everything and trust Him. Believe that all things work for the good. What is love? Euler's hopes never give up. Remember, God does not give up on you. Expect good things from God. What is love? Always perseveres. Be persistent. Keep on praying. If God is for you, who can be against you? Be faithful God and to God and others. What is love? It never fails. Love never fails. God's love never fails. Pray for loving God hard. Thank you for that word. Does anyone else have any words? On the back of these white sheets, I've listed those 12 things that God showed me. In Joshua, if you needed to have a list for it, there are 12 there. Significance of 12. If somebody can let me know what that is, that would be wonderful too. But I release you today to walk in joy and peace and prosperity and to our destiny. Amen. Bless you. Love you.